As you're greeting people, you could also turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, uh, verse 10. And I think I think it's pretty cool when you when you actually turn in your Bibles and actually see it. So we we, we provide uh, Bibles on all the tables. So we're in Matthew Matthew chapter thirteen. Jesus is going to talk about why he tells parables. And so uh, Matthew Matthew thirteen, starting in verse ten. Is there, did everybody get their coffee? Did you get it? Because we ran out of cups, so we had to go get cups. So if you need to get up and go get coffee, I will not at all be offended. you got to get your coffee, you know? Um, but right now, let's read Matthew 13, verse 10. It says this. It says, The disciples came to him. The disciples come to Jesus and ask him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And maybe they were frustrated. They, maybe they were asking, you know, in other words, why, why don't you just give us straight answers? Why don't you just tell us, tell us you know, answers and give us straight up you know, why do you tell a story? Why, when I ask you something, you, you go into a story about two farmers or something else, some other story. But Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And then he says, whoever has been given, uh, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, whatever he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Through seeing, they, may, they do not see. Through hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And I think, you know, Jesus, it's, it's, it's one thing to know facts. It's one thing to know God is good, right? It's, it's one thing to know that and, and know that in your head. Okay, yeah, God is good. But I think it's a totally another thing to understand the parable, for instance, of the good shepherd. The good shepherd uh, knowing that there's one lost sheep, got, leaves everything and goes and finds that lost sheep and carries it back to the herd. I mean, that's, that's, that's knowing, that's, that's entering into the fact that God is good. And so and then Jesus tells, before Jesus said that, he told a parable of some, of some seeds thrown on some ground. And, and there's four different types of ground. And so I want you to think for yourself, like, what, what kind of soil do you think you are? One is the path um, that's not ready at all. One is rocky soil. One is thorny so- soil. And one is the good soil. And so listen to this. this listen to this explanation of the parables of the, of the sower. It says this. So listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the seed that was planted along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And then it says, the other one received the seed and it fell among the thorns. He says, this is the person who hears the word, but the worries of the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it from being unfruitful. And then it says this in verse 23, but the one who receives the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. And he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for the mysteries of the Bible. God, we thank you that, that you told stories and that the Bible is a book of stories to, to allow us to engage in your truth. And God, this morning I pray that we might be the good soil, the soil that's ready to receive you, the soil that's not rocky or thorny or has been uh, just mowed over, 
But God, that we would be a good, well-tilled, well-plowed soil ready to receive directly from you, Jesus. So God, each one of us, we ask you to open our minds, open our hearts today to receive your truth and your word. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, last year at almost to the day, I was in uh, Orlando, Florida, in Disney World. Me and my wife were there with some other uh, couples and some other peeps from, uh, it was like a big Young Life conference. That's where my wife works. And uh, it was our first time to Disneyland. And I just thought it was so cool that, that all the rides had stories to go with them. There was like a Snow White ride that, and a Cinderella ride and uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And so all the rides have these stories that go along with them. Them. And I just think that's that's really cool. It's a way of, you know, making Disneyland this magical place where you believe in, you know, you're riding this ride that's taking you to a far off land, right? When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are, right? I mean, the, the whole thing of Disneyland is that it's not just a ride. It's not Six Flags where you're just getting on a ride. The ride represents a story, and the story enters you into this little fantasy world. And I hope to not make, uh, um, you know, I hope to not be irreverent comparing, I'm going to compare the gospel story with how Disney uses stories. I don't want to be ir- irreverent about that. But uh, look at your, the back of your skillet has a quote by C.S. Lewis that I thought was j- very pertaining to today. And it says, uh, so the very back on the bottom, sweet quote of the day i've become i am perfectly convinced that whatever the gospels are that's what we're talking about today the gospels they are not legends and and he says i have read a great deal of legend i am quite clear that they are not that sort of thing and c.s lewis wrote his own stories you know he was the author of the lion the witch the wardrobe chronicles of nardia um, all that legendary fairy tale stuff and he said the gospels are not this legend, gospels are not fairy tales, they are the truth. But see, here's the, here's the comparison I want to make. Because when we were in Disneyland, we went on the ride. The, um, it's not, we say ride, but it's more of like you sit down and it's like a tour through this house. And it's the, the haunted house ride. Have you been on that ride? It's, it's, it's kind of cool. There's like holograms of ghosts and goblins and, and just kind of that kind of weird kind of demonic stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, you wait outside the house. You go inside the house. About 50 people are let inside the haunted house. You go inside this door. And you're like, okay, I'm going in this door. You're in this small room. The lights go down and you hear a story. And the story is this wonderful story of a, a bride and a groom and how they get married. And on their wedding night, the, the husband kills the wife. You know, just fairy tale kind of stuff. And and right at that moment when you hear that, there's like lightning and you see the skeleton on the ceiling. You're like, oh my gosh, there's a skeleton on the ceiling. Where'd that come from? Um, and then this exact same doors open up and you leave out of the exact same doors into a different room. Everybody say, ooh. I, mean, I think the whole room spun or so. I don't know how they did that. It was pretty sweet though. Um, and so uh, <laughs> there was this kid in there. <laughs> that I say kid, but he was probably like 13. Me, me and Jake were there. And, me and we, we were convinced that he was at least 10, possibly 13, so a teenager. And, and as soon as the doors opened and you go out, out the same doors into a different room, this kid started bawling. It's like crying, like hysterically. <laughs> like, what the heck? This kid's 13. And the Disney usher came over and got him with his mom or something. And then at the very end of the ride, we saw this kid outside on the, on the, on the sidewalk just eating an ice cream cone and had it all over his face, just like, 
going to town. But this kid was legitimately scared because he entered in to this story. And I think as humans, we, we understand story. And here's, here's the comparison that I want to make. That story requires us to enter in. The whole idea of using mystery and riddle and wonder and hiddenness and elusiveness is, is how we enter into the story. I had a youth pastor that said it like this. He said, the, the furthest distance to travel is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Because you can know something, and you can know that Jesus is Lord. You can know that he saved you from your sins. But until you believe it, until that knowledge enters your heart, it, it doesn't mean as much. It, it potentially doesn't mean that you have salvation. Just if you know that Jesus is Lord, but to, truly don't believe it in your heart, you may not have salvation. And so I think that's the reason why Jesus told stories. I think that's the why we have four Gospels representing stories. And within these stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus tells more stories. There's stories on top of stories of how God does things that demands our belief. It's not like Jesus just told a bunch of theological facts about himself. He told stories so that you might enter in and believe what he was saying. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're continuing our talk. There's, there's today, and then the next time we meet is, is the last two um, talks about the New Testament. And so today we're going to talk about the Gospels, the story of Jesus. Next time we meet, we're going to talk about the church, the story of Acts. All the, the letters, including Revelation, which was a letter to the seven churches. And so the whole New Testament is broken up into two sections. It's part about Jesus and the part about the church. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus. Sound fun? All right. Uh, before we do that, some announcements. Uh, if you are newish around here, there is, a, a, hopefully you see one somewhere around you on the tables or on the back chairs. Every once in a while there is a, uh, there is a card, a first-time visitor card that says, get schooled on top of it. If you fill that out and give it to the people as you leave, they will give you a CD just for saying, thanks for coming so much. And uh, the other announcement is next week. Everybody say, next week. Now, next week we are not meeting. I know, it's, it's a sad thing, but let me tell you why we are not meeting. Because there's no holiday. You might think, wait, what's next weekend? Is it some kind of holiday that I don't know about? No, it's no holiday that you do not know about. Yeah. It is the Mill Leadership Retreat. And the, so all the people that are on, if you're on Mill Leadership, would you raise your hand on any of the teams? There's Sunday school teams. There's Friday night teams. Um, all, of, all of you leaders need a, a break every once in a while. And so that is the reason why we are canceling Sunday school, so that the Sunday school leaders can go on their own retreat and, and learn things and, and be together and, and have a little vacation and fun. And, and more than that, just get together and pray and love each other. And, and so that's the reason why there's, there will be no Sunday school next week. Does that sound fair enough? I mean, they're the people that every week they, they get here on 8 o'clock. They usually have to get up you know, earlier than that to be here at 8. And they, the, the coffee is made, the food, you know, the room is set up. And so um, I think it's just, it's just kind of their, their vacation day. So they get to sleep in next week. Does that make sense? So that's why there's no Sunday school next week. Everybody say no Sunday school next week. All right, but the Sunday after that, we'll be back and we'll be talking about the New Testament and the Gospels. So I think those are, those are your announcements. Um, let's talk about, in your notes, on the inside, there are, there's a section called Gospel Facts. And you might want to write some of these things down, especially you guys, because these are the kinds of things that you need to know to be able to impress the ladies. Trust me, I know this. If you memorize facts about the Bible and the Gospels and you use them at parties or wherever you're at, chicks will love you. 
I'm serious. I, I am a married man. I've been married almost two years exactly. And that's how I won over Erica's heart. I was like, did you know that the New Testament was written all in Greek? She's like, oh, I didn't know that. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> it, was, it was very similar to that. So uh, here's, here's some gospel facts for you. Uh, the Gospels, as well as the whole New Testament, was originally written in Greek. Uh, it was written in this short window. I think this window is kind of interesting. The whole Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, that these books that will be around, you know, that, that provide truth for all generations to come, were written in about a 15-year period, between 55 A.D. and 70 A.D. The, the, all four Gospels were written. I think that's just so cool. that This is just a 15-year period, and, you know, these books were published. Not that there was publishing back then, but written on a, a leather or something with, a, with like, an ink pen. Um, they were written in that 15-year span. And uh, the longest, this is the good fact to know, you know what the longest uh, Gospel is? Yeah, if, if you said Luke or Matthew, you could be correct. Because Matthew has 28 chapters, Luke has 24 <laughs> chapters. And so Matthew, you could say, oh, Matthew's longer. But if you look at the number of words, Luke has longer chapters. And so uh, by the number of words and the number of verses, Luke is a lot longer. So that's a, that's a fun fact to know at parties, you know, impress the ladies, right, guys? You know, you're like, which gospel is longer? Well, it just depends on how you quantify which one is longer. You know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, you know which one's the shortest? <laughs> you're like all four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, the book of Mark is the shortest. It's actually half as long as the book of Luke. It's, it's a very short gospel. Um, and then John, so Matthew's uh, potentially longest by chapter. Luke is actually the longest by words. Uh, Mark is the shortest. John is the most simple. Uh, John probably didn't know Greek as, as much as the other three. And so it's the most simple of the Gospels, the most simple of the Greek. And it is the Gospel that doesn't fit. There's, we're going to talk about this idea of the synopsis or the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very, very, very similar, where John is the one that doesn't look like the others. Do you remember that in kindergarten? There's like a cowboy hat, a baseball hat, uh, and a, a an army hat, and then a gorilla. And you're like, which one doesn't fit? And you're like, I don't know. This is so hard. Is it the cowboy hat? And you're like, no, it's the gorilla. Oh, kindergarten's so hard. <laughs> John is like the gorilla. John is the one that does not fit. Is very unlike the other three gospels. And so we'll talk about that. Um, but here's here's a question that I want to ask, just pr- pr- propose right now, but you'll be able to dis- discuss it in a minute. I want to ask you the question, why are there four Gospels? I mean, wouldn't it be, you know, you could think to yourself, wouldn't it be better if there was just one and we just had one perspective? But it's it's the same story. It's the same story of Jesus coming to earth, dying, r- being raised again, and what he taught in his parables, told four different ways from four different perspectives. And so why isn't there just one? What's so good about the four of the, of the four Gospels? So that's the question you will be discussing in, in just a, a little bit, but, but not yet. I want to tell the story about just perspective, because perspective means a lot. Um, when I was in high school, I went to high school in Germany because my dad was in... Uh, the Air Force, and so I was on an Air Force base. With it was an American high school. I don't speak a word of German, 
and and so I went to American high school in Germany, and it was it was my senior year, our homecoming football game, and it was a really big deal, like all football games are, especially homecoming ones are. And it was an at night game, and the lights were shining on, and we were playing our rival that was just right across uh, on the other side of town, the Kaiserslautern American High School, this other American high school, and so it was like huge rivals, you know, Ramstein versus K Town is what we called them, um, and it was it was uh, my dad was part of the Air Force. Ramstein is an Air Force base. Kaiserslautern, maybe some of you know, is a army base. Yeah. And so it was, it was like the, the world's colliding Air Force versus Army. Ramstein versus Kaiserslautern. Our homecoming game. The most important game of the year. And if you're, if you're playing your homecoming game, do you want to lose your homecoming game? No. It like ruins the whole weekend. It ruins the dance. It ruins everything. You don't want to lose. But as destiny would have it, we got a spanking from K-Town. It was, it was pretty bad. I think it was like 14 to like 40-something or 30-something. It was ridiculous. Uh, we lost pretty bad. And uh, well, Kaiserslautern was known as this team that you know everybody was just kind of the show-off. And, and they didn't do very well on their football team because they had just a lot of individuals that were show-offs. But they came together and they beat our team and we didn't play very well. And I tell that to talk about perspective because the next week the school newspaper um, came out with an article about the homecoming game. And, of course, my school, Ramstein, uh, came out with an article about the game. And they said, you know, we lost our homecoming game, but we played and we won. We, excuse me, we lost, but we lost with style. And we went out with valor and we were good sportsmen. And then, and then there was half of the article was about this incident that happened during halftime that I didn't even know about. But I guess our mascot, the lion, go lions, uh, went over to the other side, the K-Town side of the bleachers, and a bunch of people threw food at our mascot, like hot dogs with ketchup. And and half of this article was about the bad sportsmen of the K-Town and how, how, how bad they are and who's going to pay for the, the lion suit and the dry cleaning bill and, and, and so on and so forth. And there, you know, there's bad kids over there at K-Town. And, and it was pers- the perspective of Ramstein, you know, newspaper writing about the game. And then I had a bunch of friends that were in K-Town because we actually had, it was one youth group for both schools. And I went to a youth group that I had a lot of friends in K-Town and I read their school newspaper and their school newspaper reported on the same game, but it was a very different perspective because they won. And so it didn't talk at all about the mascot that got hot dogs thrown on him, but instead it, it talked about the players and the coaches and, and how they all came together uh, and, and united as a team and beat Ramstein and how, how, how big of an upset game it was. And it was an article about victory and how they beat us on our own field, uh, on our own homecoming and how great Kaiserslautern is. Do, so do you see it? There are there's two, two perspectives, both reporting truth about a game and uh, something that happened in history. They're both true, but from very different perspectives. And so I want to ask you that question again and just get you thinking about, okay, so, what's so what is so good, maybe, is, if that's the right way to word it, what's so good about there being four perspectives? And, and by the way, they're not contradictory perspectives on, on Jesus' life, but they are four different perspectives on the story of how Jesus came to the earth, died, rose again, and, and gives salvation to everyone. So that's that question. And before, before I ask that for, for discussing, I just want to talk about how the Gospels were written really quickly. So if you're, if you're in your notes, this is kind of how the, where we're at is how the Gospels were written. And uh, like, like you have an individual like Luke. Luke was not a Jewish person. Luke never saw, never met Jesus as far as we know. But he wrote the book of Luke, uh, the longest of the Gospels, 
all based upon what he heard from, from Paul. He, he, was, he was close friends with Paul, the apostle, and he, he, he would learn stories of, of, of Jesus. And we also think that Luke had a copy of Mark in his hands and copied directly from Mark. It's kind of like I, I did some teaching as a high school biology teacher, and uh, students turned in some essays, and some of the essays had the exact same sentences. What would I accuse those students of doing? Stop copying each other. It's obvious that you copied. You said it in the exact same way, these three sentences right together. And so the exact same sentences are used in, in Luke as from Mark. And so we think that Mark and actually Matthew, just another fun fact to know, had uh, Mark, no, Matthew and Luke both independently wrote their Gospels with a copy of Mark in their hands. And so just, just an interesting way of thinking about it. But it's kind of like this. I'm going to draw a pearl. Are you ready for a pearl? Yeah, so it's just a little pearl. It's a perfect circle, by the way. They said, they said it's impossible. Some artist said it's impossible to draw a perfect circle. Well, clearly they were wrong. Uh, <clears throat> here's some more pearls. Let's say this first pearl is uh, a pearl uh, the, of the story. And so the pearl represents, you know, this, this wonderful truth, this story of Jesus' birth. And obviously, the, the writers of the Gospels weren't there at Jesus' birth. If they were, they were probably little babies as well. Um, so this story represents the story of Jesus' birth. And maybe this story represents a parable of Jesus. And maybe this, this pearl represents the story of Jesus' death. And so Luke, as he would go around and travel and meet other disciples, would, would find that churches had somewhat of a, like a basket. So here, here's a basket. Do you see this basket? I'm a, I'm a very good artiste, by the way. Uh, that's a basket. And so a, a church would have a basket of these pearls. We're talking all figuratively, of course, right now, right? And so here, here's some pearls. And, and so maybe, maybe this church knew a lot of parables of Jesus. They had heard these stories, and the stories got passed on. It was like, here's, here's all these stories. We have all these stories of the parables of, of Jesus. And so we have this parable about sowers. We have this parable about the good shepherd. You know, we have this parable about what... Whatever. And so here's this basket of of pearls of the stories of Jesus. And so as Luke visited these churches and learned and and heard these stories, what he did was he strung the pearls together into this beautiful necklace. Do you see this? And and so Luke would, would put the stories together, put these beautiful pearls in order. And so Luke, for instance, talks about Jesus' birth. And then he goes into the story of of how Jesus, when he was, was 12 years old, was at the temple teaching, you know, the great theologians of his time. And, you know, and he goes into the next story of Jesus' baptism, uh, and so on and so forth. These, these pearls, these stories were lined up together into the Gospels. And so here's the question for you. Why are there four perspectives? Why are there four perspectives in the Gospels, because here, here's the here's the big idea. If if truth is unchanging, and if if we do believe in an absolute truth, truth that is absolutely true no matter what, then how can there be four perspectives uh, on the same truth? You know, you see what I'm saying? So what I want you to do is just ask that question hey, either at your table or if, or if you're by yourself, that's totally fine. Just and maybe write down, maybe assign someone as a scribe and say, okay, what's so good about having four different perspectives? Of Jesus' life. Does that question make sense? Just, just answer the question. What's, what's so great about four different perspectives? What can we get out of that? Ready? Get set. Go. All right. Um, 
let's uh, like we usually do. Let's let's talk about it. Maybe you have a spokesman at, at your table that that said something really genius, really smart. And so, uh, if you would, there's there's two dudes on the sides with microphones. Get their attention so that we can kind of go back and forth really quickly. Um, but what's the, so the question is again, just for clarification, what, what why is there four perspectives on the same truth? In fact, the most important truth that the world has ever known, that God came to this earth. You, you said the second question, though, was what was so great about it. I've, I've, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Can we say that? Yeah, what, that yeah what is too? great about it? Okay, pretend there's like that guy, that guy, that guy, and that girl over there. They're all telling a story about you. Right. Um, if what they're saying is kind of or kind of a really the same in a lot of ways there's different parts of it. Uh-huh. There's different little details. Yeah. But they're all saying the same thing about you. I think it speaks to... I don't, this is kind of a silly way to say it, but the truthfulness of the truth. It's the same yeah. process that detectives and lawyers use yeah, well, that's to good. figure out, to solve crimes. You know, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, having four witnesses is better than having what, one witness because what if that one witness, you know, turns out to be fibbing a little bit or stretching the truth? Um, you know, that, that could happen. And so we have, but we, but for in the case of the Bibles, the Gospels, we have, we have four different people all seeing very similar things about who Jesus Christ was. Any other thoughts about that? I mean, that, that's probably one of the biggest ones, so thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> yes, Pam. Uh, my friend Dylan here said it's kind of like uh, Sports Center. You know, you have four different commentators who give yeah. you four different points of view. Yeah, four different points of view. That's good. And so that, that's actually a really good point of, <clears throat> uh, of, of just this idea that there's four personalities, four... Uh, people saying things that might be of interest to them that are better. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Anything, anybody else want to share? Yes. In the, in the back, there's one. In the front, there's one. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, each author kind of probably wrote to different group of people. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's all I want to say. Yeah, that's very true. We're going to talk. We, yeah, excellent. Your, your guess is exactly true. Matthew was a Jewish person. Luke was a Gentile writing to different audiences. And, and so what they would want to hear and need to hear. Very good. Yes, Vern. Um, I guess, you know, uh, also the authors, like Luke was a doctor. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the way he wrote was in that perspective. Yeah. And Matthew was a tax collector. Right. So, and then John was Jesus' best friend. So there's right. like a little emotional you know, connection there. Yeah, so we have these that we have different perspectives of of the same thing with the different personalities. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Excellent. Is there one more? I thought those yes, go ahead. Um, I think we have a very personal creator in Christ. Yeah. And so when you mix in with him different personalities, each person is going to know Christ in a little bit different way due to their own experiences. And they're gonna record them down differently. Mark yeah. Mark is very different from John, and both of them walked every day with Christ. Right. Excellent point. You know, we all have, at the close of Sunday School today, I'm going to talk about our, how we all have our own story <coughs> of, of what God has done inside of us. And that's our story, and it's our truth and our life. And it, it goes to the greater truth that God works in the souls of individuals and changes lives. And it's, it's a part of a much bigger picture. And so if you've never thought about this, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I had no idea where the Bible came from. I was like, well, didn't, you know, God just write it. And then, and someone found it or didn't God just bring it to your earth. And it was like this big book on this table. And it's like, this is my book, read it. 
And uh, that's not at all, by the way, how we got the Bible. Uh, I don't want to be irreverent and say that God didn't write it, but God didn't write it. Uh, Individuals, humans wrote the Bible, but it's very much so inspired by God. It is the word of God, but God used humans. God used individuals to write his truth. I think that's just amazing how God works. He uses us. He uses individuals just like me and you. People with mistakes to write the Bible. And so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all with different human perspectives, uh, giving us a godly truth of what Jesus did and came to do on this earth. And so um, the early church, in fact, talks about how um, the, the Gospels were the four first books of the New Testament to be canonized. And the early church fathers would talk about how the Gospels represent the four winds or the four directions or the four faces of God and how these things are four perspectives on, on a perfect thing and how they are the four faces or the four winds of how God works. In fact, the, one of the very first books that I read as a Christian, it went way over my head, by the way, was a, a book titled The Four Faces of God. And it writes about each individual gospel, how, um, for instance, and you could write some of these things down, some of these facts, they're, they're very interesting, how Matthew was, was a tax collector. He was called by Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. So if you're reading Matthew, You're reading an eyewitness account of some of the stories of Jesus. But as I said before, Matthew had had the, the, the book of Mark in his hands as he was writing. So even though he was there with Jesus, he, he copied some of what Mark said, the, the lingo of how Mark used it. And, and so when we read Matthew, we're reading a very Jewish understanding, uh, the, ver- the probably the most Jewish of the Gospels. And, and Matthew talks about how Jesus is king. He talks the most about Jesus' kingdom. He talks the most about Jesus as king. And so if you're reading Matthew, you'll probably see some of that. The next one, Mark, is, of course, the shortest of the Gospels, uh, being almost half as long as Luke. And there's lots of uses of the term immediately in Mark. Immediately, Jesus went to Galilee and preached and, and, and so on and so forth. And then immediately, he left there. And immediately, he uses that word a lot, showing the, the, the quick pace of the Gospels, Jesus' ministry being only three years, potentially even less, of him carrying out this plan on earth. And in Mark, if you're writing this down, we have the most uses of Jesus as a servant, how Jesus is a servant. So Matthew paints this picture of of Jesus as king. Mark paints this picture of Jesus as as a suffering servant, as a servant. And and Mark, Mark was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but Mark hung out with a dude named Peter. Do you know who Peter is? Peter was one of the 12, and so a lot of what Mark wrote down is probably first-hand accounts from Peter, as well as some of the other disciples that Mark, John Mark may have known. And so that's Mark. Luke is the doctor. And isn't it interesting that Luke the doctor has writes the most about the healings? I mean, you kind of write about what you're interested in about. And Luke, being a doctor, wrote the most about the healings that Jesus performs, the miracles of healings. Uh, Luke was never around Jesus, for as far as we know but was a companion of Paul. Do you know who Paul is? Yeah, Paul the Apostle. Duh. Uh, Luke hung out with Paul, and as he traveled around and met people from churches, Luke, Luke wrote a very historical account of Jesus. It's the longest. It's the most detailed. It's the most, uh, it probably involved a lot of investigation and, and learning the stories and, and trying to figure out what order they go into. And, and just in case you're wondering, Luke is also the writer of the book of 
Acts, yeah. And so if you read the book of Luke and Acts, there's almost a seamless transition of how these two books flow. It's very interesting. And so Luke wrote the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And in um, in in the, the book of Luke, we see, uh, let's see, I already said he is most concerned with healings. And uh, yeah, so Matthew, Mark, Luke. The final one is John. And, and John is most concerned uh, with simplicity. Uh, you know, he only uses seven miracles, whereas Luke talks about, you know, loads of miracles of, of Jesus. John only decides to represent seven. And, and John was one of the twelve disciples, maybe Jesus' closest friend, one of the closest disciples. He refers to himself in the book of John as the beloved. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but kind of cool. Uh, John is very poetic, very simple. He was an eyewitness account. And he uh, refers to most to Jesus as uh, as God. That Jesus, I mean, his very gospel begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to explain that the Word is Jesus. So, so John, the book of John has the most to describe about Jesus being God himself. And within these gospels, within these stories, because that's really what the gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are stories of Jesus. And as, as we talked about, as I kind of used the, the example of Disney, how story invites us into, invites us to believe, invites us to, to either enter into the story and believe exactly what's happening and to understand in a new way or to cross arms and say, no, I don't understand the Gospels. I don't, I don't want to understand. I don't believe them. The, the story, the use of story makes us decide is is this true or is this false and so the the use of story so the gospels are in story form and then the use of parables stories within stories there's lots of stories in the gospels and jesus told uh, if you count giving a generous count of how many parables there are there are 65 parables in the gospels that's a whole lot of stories don't you think i mean one third i have this figure here that said one third of jesus teachings was in the form of parable. It's like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing today? Well, let me tell you a story. Two men were in a field planting seeds. <laughs> it's like, just, just tell me what you're going to do today. You know? And, and Jesus was very, and in fact, in his, if you read the Gospels, it seems very clear that he gets towards at the end of his ministry, he gets more and more, I should say, less and less direct. He, he, he tells more stories, more stories that are confusing. He, he talks about, uh, you know, even at the, the night of his of his Last Supper, he talked about, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Do what? That's weird. I mean, he didn't, it's as, as, as if he wasn't that concerned about explaining and listing facts about what you have to believe, but he was more concerned with story. And I think the reason is, is that story makes you enter in. Story makes you say, Jesus, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by those the, the parable of the sower? It makes it makes you want to know more. I mean, just imagine yourself. Um, not, I mean, we're very lucky to have all four Gospels to read anytime we want. But imagine if you were one of the people in the stories. Like, let's say you were the Samaritan woman sitting in a well. And Jesus came and you had a short conversation. Who knows how long it was? Maybe a half hour, maybe an hour, maybe more, maybe less. We don't know. But they had a, a simple conversation where Jesus says, you know, lists some of the things that she had done in her past. And then says, you know, talks about spirit and truth. And maybe that's, what if that was all you knew about this man named Jesus wouldn't that encourage you to want to know more? Wouldn't that intrigue you and, and want you to, to listen more to his stories and find out 
what this man is all about and to enter in to what he is talking about. And so a parable uh, is a brief, succinct story in prose or verse that illustrates a moral or religious lesson. There's obviously two levels of meaning. There's the meaning about, you know, for instance, the seeds and the sower. But then there's also a much deeper meaning about truth and truth being planted into our hearts. And so I just think, you know, our culture is very story oriented. We have, you know, we, we, we go to movies, we watch things, we, we listen to, 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 to programs and there, there's so much story in our life and in, in what we do. And I just think that's human nature to, to, to enter in to stories. And I think, you know, this spring we're going to put on the thorn once again. And so many people come to know Jesus through the thorn production. You know, you can listen to a sermon and it just doesn't make sense to them until they see it, until they see characters and, and disciples and Jesus, you know, and the crowd and, you know, the, the angels and demon scene. And there's characters and there's there's story behind the gospel. And I just think our our world needs a lot more story. And so I want to encourage you uh, today to, to think of your own story and what God has done in your life, because your story and your perspective and the truth <coughs> is a very important perspective and what God has done inside of you. I remember um, a few years ago, I was on a mission trip and it was a, it was a mission trip to this, this really small city in Utah, but there was this big, uh, it's like a Mormon pageant, a big Mormon convention happening there. And we were, me and uh, several friends were, were witnessing to Mormons. And as, as some of you know, I have, I have a great heart for Mormons and have lots of great things to say about Mormons and the Mormon faith and, and how, how wonderful of people they are. But I think we would, evangelical Christians would, would, would argue with Mormons about foundations and faith and, and for instance, how we're saved and, and works versus grace and, and this whole idea of heaven and, and, and how we get to heaven and, and so on and so forth. There, there's very important differences between evangelical Christianity and the Mormon faith. And so me and some friends were in this small, small Utah town and there was this big pageant going on and, you know, all these people, thousands and thousands of people, and we were just kind of hanging out outside and, and trying to make conversations with Mormons, you know. And, and, and so some of my friends were very good at this, and they would just start a conversation, and that little, you know, conversation would grow into like a little group of people, and all of a sudden he's like preaching and, and talking to all these people, and they're asking questions, and they're talking about who God is and how salvation happens and the nature of Jesus. And he's just, you know, really good at starting street conversations and street evangelism. And I was young in my faith, and I'm kind of more shy around, you know, perfect strangers on the street. I mean, who? I mean, who's good at that kind of thing? Anyways, I had some friends that were really good at it. I wasn't that good at it. I was kind of thrown off by how good they were at it. And so I had kind of given up, and I was, I was down on the sidewalk just kind of sitting there uh, moping, saying, oh, I'm, not, I'm not good at street evangelism. <laughs> you know, and I... I had kind of given up, and I was just sitting there, and I saw this kid with a, like a BMX bike, and he was like doing little cool stunts and impressing the girls. And and uh, me and him, he came over and was like, I did like a little skit or something. I was like, dude, you're good at that, man. And we just he, he sat down with me, and we just started talking. We had a conversation, and he he started to tell me some of his story. And as a Mormon, he uh, had dated a lot of girls, and because marriage is really important to Mormons and getting married early. But he said that he and his former girlfriend slept together, and then. The church found out about that, and he was kicked out of the church. And on top of that, then his girlfriend broke up with him, and he was very, very sad about just the breakup and the, and the hurt. And um, here, here this young man is, probably in, in high school, um, 
just talking about his heart and, and how his heart had been broken by this girl. And, and so I opened up to him and started telling him a little bit about my story and how when I was in high school, I, I dated this girl for like three years. And right out of high school, we were engaged to, to be married and that didn't work out. And and, and I was just sharing with him my brokenness and, and how my heart had been hurt and just sharing him with him my story. And, and then I invited and I started talking about how my faith in God and how I wasn't a Mormon but how, how my, I had a faith in God that was real and how God himself restored me from the brokenness and the hurt of that relationship. And we just started talking. And it was so cool because he said, you know what, I don't, I don't know too much about my, my church. And he's referring to the Mormon church. But I understand what you're talking about. I understand that the God that you believe in, I, I like that. I, I really, I believe that what you're saying is true, how God can save us and redeem us. And I want that. And and so right then and there, that day, after about an hour long conversation, I led this kid to the Lord and, and had, you know, I, I led him through the, the prayer of how to believe. And I just thought that's, that's what it's about. You know, uh, the story of God doing work on this earth. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus was on this earth, God himself on this earth. And we have not only one, but we have four stories of how he did that work, the Gospels. And, and in this room, there's you know, 100 and something people. There's, it, every single one of us has a story of what God has done in our life. And, and it's, it's a true story. It's a true perspective of what God does. And it's, it's true how God redeems individuals like all of us. And so I want to close with reading this verse. You could, you could turn there with me if you want and see it. It's, it's John chapter 20, verse 30. So it's at the very end of of the gospel of John and, and John, you know, enters into the story and it's very poetic, very simple Greek. And it's as if he takes a break from telling the story to, to just give a two, two verse, a two liner about why he is writing. And I just think it's, it's so, it's so simple and it's, it's just right there. Yes, this is, this is why he, t- he's telling the story. This is why we should tell our story of what God is doing in our life. And so it's John 20 verse 30. And I'm going to read verse 30 and 31. I just want you to hear. It's so simple. Why, why John wrote what he wrote. And he's talking specifically about miracles. It says this. So John 20 verse 30 says, Jesus did many other miracle, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And, and, and we, we know that John only wrote about seven miracles. There's lots of other miracles. And then even, you know, even more than that. So let me read it one more time. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And here it is. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for, for story and the, and the power of your story, God's story, your story, Jesus, on the face of this earth. And God, we do praise you that there are four perspectives, four gospels, four good newses about how you came and died for our sins. So Jesus, we're just right now, we're just so thankful. We leave here thanking you for what you've done in our life. We thank you for, for everything that you've accomplished on this earth and, and the stories that you have told and, and just giving us the Bible, a book full of your stories so, God, we praise you. We thank you for the story that's in each and every one of us. We praise you for what you're doing on this earth. We leave here excited to tell our story. God, give us opportunities to tell it. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, <coughs> Amen.